Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. Going to absolutely fly through this intro because, well, it's midday on a Friday and that's late for the Arscast. Of course, that's a consequence of the Europa League group stage games, which take place on a Thursday, making it difficult to record afterwards. And therefore, we're recording on a Friday, uh, delaying the podcast, getting into your ears, etc., etc. It's kind of cyclical. But we're back to normal from now, bar, you know, the... Uh, the giant six-week gap in the middle of the season when there won't be any Arsenal, but we'll do our best to cover for that and make interesting podcasts for you during that period, but they will be whatever they're about on time on a Friday morning. So there we go. As I said, I don't want to delay too much. I want to get this out and into your ears as quickly as I can, but we did finish top of our Europa League group. I don't think the games or the performances are going to uh, go down in history as the most memorable, but in terms of job done, job's done. And you can't really argue with that. We can talk about certain aspects of it, though, and analyze a few bits and pieces uh, from last night's game against FC Zurich and the group stage as a whole. And with me to do that from Goal.com, it's Charles Watts. Hi, Charles. Hello, Andrew. May I am very good. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. You've, uh, you know, let the nerves settle down a little bit after all the thrills and spills of the final group game in the Europa League. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure thrills are right <laughs> the right word, but it was, uh, it was certainly... A lot more stressful than it should have been, wasn't it? I don't think any of us wanted to endure those last 15 minutes like we had to. No, it was, you know, it was one of those games where you're hoping you get two, three nil up at halftime. I think Miguel Arteta would have been looking for something like that. So it's comfortable with PSV leading in, in Norway against Bodo Glimt. I mean, the last period of the game was actually quite stressful in the sense that they never looked really threatening but they had one ruled out for offside obviously and there was some some crosses coming in and some strange sort of I don't know Thomas Partey's a, a, an amazing player on his day he's just you know fantastic when he runs the show he runs the show but there are times I think where it gets a little bit panicky and he can reflect that panic in, in a way where he gives the ball away a little bit. There was one where he kind of hoofed it about 10 miles up in the air and over the bar for a corner. And he was a guy who was brought on to give Arsenal a, a bit of control in those final stages. And, you know, we couldn't apply that even with him, with Odegaard on the pitch, barely touched the ball. Um, I mean, we got there in the end and we'll come to all that. But, but certainly, you know, when you look at the overall performance, it, it was not as comfortable as it should have been against a team that, you know, hasn't had a good record of late no it absolutely wasn't I mean the second half subs made absolutely no difference whatsoever did no. they like you said Thomas Partey came <laughs> with the aim of getting wrestling some sort of control in that midfield and <laughs> just did the exact opposite uh, Thomas Partey every time I see him come on as a substitute I rarely see him take control of the game he's brilliant from the start but I, I, I he's not a sort of player I don't think he's a, he's mm. a player who comes on and changes the game when he's a substitute I think he just takes a while to get up, get up to speed and I've seen Arteta bring him on a lot of times to try and get control of the midfield and very rarely does it. And, you know, Bukayo had no impact. Martin Odegaard had no impact, like you said. And it was all just very nervous. There were serious Olympiacos flashbacks going on during that game <laughs> last night. Well, I mean, when they got the set piece right at the end, the last minute, I sat there next to Mark Manbryans, who's the PA reporter for Arsenal, and um, who was just, I mean, he knows my allegiance <laughs> as a fan to Arsenal and he was winding me up the whole way in the last 15 minutes of that game prodding me every time they got forward and when they got that set piece I just looked at him I was like here we go Barcelona incoming he just yeah. just felt like they were going to score I mean yeah 
it was far too tense. They didn't play well. The first half they played well. They should have been out of sight. We've said this a few times with Arsenal this season of late, but um, they didn't do it. And then the second half, they just couldn't go on and, and put them to the sword. And when you do that, no matter who you're playing against, mm. what level of team they are, it's going to get nervy. And that's exactly what happened. But- yeah. I mean, that, that free kick against Gabriel in the final couple of minutes where he was booked as well for for what was on replay. When you see the replay, he was just stronger than the guy. He got up, won his header, and the referee has given him a yellow card and a free kick, and you're thinking, okay, you know, this is this is going to go in. Um, like you say, I mean, the the it's not that we would have been out of the tournament, but you would have had to play those extra two games against a potential uh, difficult opposition. But, you know, like you say, I think Arsenal did play reasonably well in the first half, there were seven changes from the team that beat Nottingham Forest, so a fair amount of rotation from Mikel Arteta. I know he can't rotate as much as everybody would like at this moment in time because the squad is, you know, it's just not big enough to do that. So he starts Ben White, he starts Gabriel, Ramsdale's in goal because Turner's injured, Gabriel Jesus is starting up front, I think probably as much to try and get him back on the score sheet, uh, even though we all know he's just saving his goals for for Chelsea on Sunday. Um, But there were chances. And Ketty had made the keeper make a couple of saves. There was one from a header that was very good. Fabio Vieira maybe should have scored. He went the other way across goal, maybe should have gone into the bottom corner. So there were, you know, moments and, and opportunities for Arsenal to make this game safer in the first half. Yeah, yeah, absolutely were. I thought Vieira's finishing was pretty poor on the night. I thought he could easily have walked away with a couple of goals. Um, weird, weird performance, I thought, from Fabio Vieira last night. I thought, I didn't think he was great at all, but he almost looked the most threatening. Every he, he, he seems to be a player who just pops up. He gets in good positions, doesn't he? He drifts into, finds some space in the box, and he, hmm. he always gets opportunities. And He could have easily walked away with a couple of goals last night, and you and could say that about him in the last couple of performances when he hasn't been great. I don't think, but he's still been kind of looked like the most likely player to to score, and I think that's actually a positive about him because he's not. He started the group stages really well, and I thought he's played pretty poorly in the last four games. But even so, he still finds the right position. I think that's kind of a positive from him in a way because I still think we're going to see a lot from him as the season progresses and maybe next season as well. So yeah, there were chances. Um, they weren't clear. I mean, Gabriel Jesus had that massive chance at it beginning of the first, second half which mm. the keeper somehow sort of saved with the back of his shoulder I think when you yeah, get to the was, replay yeah. from behind it, it kind of sums up the way things are going for Jesus in front of goal at the moment and yeah it was it was a weird night I mean I saw Tim Stillman tweet after the game <laughs> which I thought was really spot on he kind of listed the amount of Europa League group stages games he could remember since we qualified for the tournament and he said there's about four or five of them and he's right you just don't remember these games at the end of the day it's just a case of getting through and mm. then the games that matter come in the knockout stages so I don't think anyone's going to lose much sleep with the performance I spoke I asked Mikel afterwards in the press conference and like that that was far more tense than it should have been wasn't it and he basically said yeah yeah we didn't play great but we found a way to win we dug in we got the win we topped the group end off move on and I think he's right at the end of the day no one's no one's going to remember this game at the end of the season are they they're just going to remember the fact that Arsenal won again and topped the group yeah I mean that's true but you know when we're all sitting around looking for things to talk about and to analyse and, and everything else when it comes to football it is one of those um, situations where you know throughout the season Arsenal have been really good you know for the most part Arsenal played really well but there have been some struggles in this and it's, it's interesting I think to try and assess the group's stage as a whole because when you just when you look at it in you step back objectively Arsenal top the group win the group um go into the knockout stages absolutely 100% job done um was it five wins one defeat against PSV wasn't a great night it was a bit of an off night but I I do think it's interesting to think about what we expect from some of the players who are given an opportunity in these Europa League games Last season without Europe, you know, I look I'm I'm with you and Tim and I think many people listening to this, like the the group stage games, they do not live long in the memory at all. But I think we noticed their absence last season, didn't we, when we had all these gaps between games or periods where I had like nine days between games because we'd play on a Saturday and then it was Monday night football the next week and you know, you've got nine days to sit around and twiddle your thumbs and there's nothing going on and the 
the benefits to the squad as a whole mean, you know, when you've got these games, players are getting playing time, whether they're playing particularly well or not playing particularly well, at least they're fresh. They've got minutes, they feel involved. So we all know the benefits uh, of that to players. But then I think there are certain individuals that we're looking at in these group stages and saying, right, how hard are they going to push? How hard are they going to make life for the manager when it comes to his team selections? And there's a few players, I think, that, you know, stand out a little bit in, in terms of that. So we might maybe go through them. Fabio Vieira, I think it's a little bit too early in his Arsenal career to to start making definitive judgments or anything like that. Um, Eddie Nketiah, two goals from the six games. I mean, he's had chances. There were some saves. Um but I was expecting a little bit more when you looked at the group. I was expecting a little bit more in terms of a, a goal return. And I think he would, you know, be the first to say as well that he would have wanted more from from these games. So how do you assess his performances in these in these group games? Bearing in mind, of course, that last night he started on the left-hand side, which, I, you know, I really don't think is his best position. Yeah, and he did that in two of the games, I think. I'm pretty sure because Jesus started... Jesus definitely started one of the other games, didn't he? Was it PSV at home? Mm. I think he started. And, and then and Katie was shifted over to the left. And I'm with you. I hate Eddie over there. I mean, Eddie's such a penalty bot striker. And chucking him over on the left wing, I just don't think does him any favours whatsoever. Mm. So I think that has to be taken into account when you look at his overall group stage. And he started well, didn't he? Scored a couple of goals, like you said. And then, yeah, he definitely struggled. But he could... He, it, it depends how you judge it, doesn't it? If you're judging it purely on goals, yeah, two out of six isn't great for him. But then... He easily could have scored yesterday. Keeper makes a good save. PSV away in the second half, he easily could have scored again. The keeper makes a good save with that left foot shot. He had a point blank range. Had those gone in, and I know it's all hypothetical because it had they gone in, but if they had Sonny sitting there with four goals from six games and it looks an awful lot brighter. And um, I think he'll probably be a little bit disappointed. He would have looked at that group stage and thought, this is an opportunity for me to, mm. you know, to get sort of four or five goals, especially the way he started it. And it hasn't quite happened, but... I do think him playing out on the left has did def, did have effect because it just, he's just not a left winger, is he, at all? I'd honestly, I'd rather Gabriel Jesus play on the left and, and, and Ketia play as a central striker if Mikel's going to play both of them because I think there'd be more, both of those players would be more effectual in those in those posi- uh, positions. So, yeah, it's a, it, it, he'll definitely, I think, be disappointed, a little bit disappointed this morning looking back on the group stages. He would have seen it as a big opportunity to kind of stake a claim mm. or more more game time, especially at the moment with Jesus struggling for goals in the Premier League and he hasn't really taken it, but I do think there are a little bit of mitigating circumstances from that. So um so yeah, I think that's how you kind of well how I assess Eddie's group stage anyway. Yeah, I was looking at him last night and, and just something that struck me was quite often he was coming deep to to take the ball on the run and the first touch that I think has improved actually uh, over the last 12, 18 months or so, certainly over the last six or eight months anyway, since he's been regular in the team, was was way off last night. Like the first touch was just not good enough to to sort of get him into the positions that he wanted to get into when he did take the ball, you know? So it could be just a bit of an off night. But yeah, I, I tend to agree that like if you are going to play Eddie and Jesus together, then Eddie down the middle makes a, a lot more sense. But I think Arteta explained it last week, didn't he, in one of the press conferences that if you're playing, uh, you know, playing somebody out of position, but you're playing Eddie out of position. So it's, you know, like for like yeah. almost, isn't it? I didn't really buy Arteta's answer on that one. I thought, I mean, who's a better player, Gabriel Jesus or Eddie Nketiah? It's Gabriel Jesus. So who's mm. going to be better playing out of position out of those two players is Gabriel Jesus. So I didn't really buy the whole, oh, if we do that, we move two players out of position rather than just mm. one. So yeah, I didn't really get that argument, to be honest. And then we've seen Gabriel Jesus play out wide before for Man City and play very, very well mm. for them. Um, it was almost his actual position for Man City by the end of his time there, wasn't it? So, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I was. I'm a little bit surprised, but I do think as well, like you said earlier on, that I think a lot of the reason behind Gabriel Jesus starting a couple of these games has been trying to get him to break this little goal drought. The fact he played 90 minutes even. Um, at the weekend when Arsenal were 5-0 up was, yeah. again, a clear sign for me that Arteta's just desperate for him. As much as he says he's not, I think he's clearly desperate for him to score a goal and just get that sort of monkey off his back, ease the tension a little bit yeah. and, and let him play more freely in front of goal because he's definitely snatching at things now. You know, he, He's missing chances that he would have scored at the start of the season and because of this run. So I think 
Arteta knows it's good for everyone if he does score pretty quickly and he's given him enough opportunities recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it'll happen on Sunday. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> Albert Samuel Conga played in a different position than he's played most of the season. I think it's fair to say that he's found it kind of hard going in that sort of six, that Thomas Partey role that he's been asked to play in the Europa League. Um, yesterday, he played in a position where he played in preseason. People talked about him doing pretty well there. Um, he's obviously had a, a bit to say for himself recently as well. And, you know, Arteta said, you've got to go out there and, and prove it. You've got to show what you can do on the pitch. I think last night, like much of the group stage in a way, the game sort of passed him by. I was looking at the, the, the touches in the first half hour. I think he had fewer touches than any other player. And when you're a winger, maybe you can understand that. If you're a centre forward, not getting any service, you can understand that. But when you're playing as a, a central midfielder at home for Arsenal, I found that kind of strange. I don't know where he was at times. Um He's one, I think, where there's a conversation to be had about what's best for him and what's best for the team at some point, because this isn't his first season. This is his second season. He's had plenty of time to to learn on the training ground, to know what's expected of him. So when we talk about Eddie maybe not producing as much as we would have liked in terms of goals... I don't think Sambi has really taken the opportunity to take a step forward in this season's Europa League games thus far anyway. No, I agree. I think there's definitely question marks over exactly what Sambi's got in his locker, I think, at the moment. You know, is he a six? Is he an eight? If he's an eight, is he, you know, does he, has he got the qualities to really affect the game in and around the penalty areas? I thought like yesterday, I think he was a bit, it was almost looked a bit confused because I agree. I watched him quite closely in the first half to see exactly what sort of positions he was taking up. And he was almost dropping out. He was, he was very deep still. Mm. He wasn't really playing as an eight. And I don't know if he was a little bit confused about the position. He's kind of just become accustomed to playing very, very deep, but he wasn't in and around the edge of the penalty area, looking to make things happen, making runs into the box, any of that. Mm. He definitely, he didn't appear to be a player playing in a number eight type role. And, whether that's just going to take a bit of getting used to for him, I don't know. But you know, I didn't actually think he did that badly as a six at the start of the tournament, at the start of the competition. He, there was a couple of games, but you know, it's what do you want from your six, really? Is it is it ability just to get on the ball and pass it and move it pretty swiftly? I thought he does that. He did that okay. I mean, he's not Thomas Party. There's no doubt about it. It's quite a big drop off from Party to Sambi, but. You know, I don't think anyone's surprised by that. You're talking about a top quality Champions League player in Thomas Party, and mm. you're talking about a very young player who's come from Belgium for uh, in Sambi. But and it took it took Thomas Party six months to get used to that position when Mikel made that shift. It's a really difficult position sure. to play, and when you when it's taken someone as good as Thomas Party that long to really adjust to it, it's no surprise to see Sambi struggle a little bit. But I do agree. I think there's definitely question marks over him exactly what he is. You know, what does he do? If he's if he's going to be a six, does he have the personality to really take control of that position, win the ball back and then and move it forward like a Thomas Party does when Party plays well? And if he's going to be a number eight, you know, what is he going to do in and around that penalty area to really affect mm. the game and, and either score or can he play a key pass? And there's definitely question marks over that. And, He's one of those players you look at and think in the summer, because he's certainly he's, he's gonna, not going to go in January uh, by any means, but you do wonder in the summer when Arsenal look into it, how they're going to improve their squad, especially if they are in the Champions League. They'd be looking at that and thinking, you know, what do we do here? It, can, do we send him out on loan, give him a season playing somewhere to really step up, play every single game and then assess him after that and bring and do we bring in someone to replace him and i think ultimately the way things are going at the moment it kind of feels like they will need to because i'm just not sure he has shown in the 18 months yet that he has got the quality to really step up and be a champions league player i th i think so, you're yeah. yeah i think your use of the word personality is quite interesting there because you know clearly he he's got talent you know he can use the ball pretty well i feel like it's off the ball or when we're not in possession where where he really struggles or he finds certain aspects of the game a bit more challenging because like I said in the first half 
he was nowhere. I thought he was better in the first half of the second half. He got involved a little bit. But but in that final 20, 25 minutes, you know, when you're backs to the wall, when you're under a bit of pressure, you know, you need players to be, to have a bit of presence, you know, to have a bit of personality, to be a bit more aggressive. I think last week or the week before, you'd know, because you were probably in the press conference where Arteta spoke about a lack of aggression. Could have been after the PSV game, actually. You know, he's talking about a lack of aggression. And I think that really applies to to Sambi. And it's not as if he's a tiny little guy, you know. He's a good athlete. He's got good physique. You know, he, he could be there, but, you know, too many balls bounce around him, if you know what I mean, in midfield where we need to attack them. And too many balls just sort of bounce there, and then there's a problem. I think we saw it with the one of the PSV goals last week as well. So it, it is um, it is one of those where you're looking, okay, in this group stage, it's a chance to, to make the manager sit up and take notice and to give him a decision to make. And I don't really think he's done that either as a six or an eight. And again, with the mitigation that he is still young and there's plenty of room for improvement, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, this is us just overanalyzing the uh, the group stages a bit. I don't, think, I don't think he's done himself any favours, put it that way, with the, mm. with the group stage. I think you kind of look at winners and losers from this group stage, and I'd certainly class Sammy in the sort of losers category at this moment. I don't think he's he's put his hand up and and sent Mikel a message by any means when it comes no. to the Premier League. And it, the, the more I look at him at the moment, the more I feel like a lone spell away might be the best for him and for Arsenal to look to look to replace. But we'll see. That's a, that's a job for the summer. Kieran Tierney is somebody who's had a difficult season by his own admission. Um, for the first time in his career, he's not the first choice at the football club he's at. Um, I, I don't know if I go so far as to say that he is third choice. I think that's a little bit harsh. I think there's been some tactical tweaks of late and he's paid, um, maybe paid the price a little bit for that. But last night, I thought he was probably Arsenal's best player. And on a night when we needed somebody to step up and do something decisive to, to win a game, he was he was that guy. You know, this it's clear he's desperate to play. He wants to play every game. He said afterwards he wants to play every single minute. So when you do get a chance in a game like this, you could consider it almost a dead rubber in, in Europe, maybe. But, you know, he was there. He was um, aggressive. He was trying to make things happen. He had the shirt ripped off his back and somehow didn't get a free kick for it, which is unbelievable. Some of the refereeing decisions last night were just beyond belief. I couldn't quite uh, make any sense of, of of why the referee did what he did in certain situations, but I guess that's not really um, a discussion we need to have. But Tierney was there, and he scored a goal, very good goal, great technique to make sure it got into the bottom corner, and you know, um, depending on what happens with Tommy Asu and what the injury situation is with him, he could well be in the team on Sunday against Chelsea. Yeah, I think he definitely starts against Chelsea. I can't imagine there's any way that Tommy Asu is going to be... I mean, I don't think we'll see Tommy Asu now until after the World Cup, but that's just a hunch. That's not based on uh, any sort of info that I've got. Um, I thought he played well. I mean, he was definitely my... He was my man of the match. I, I think he was the only player I gave a 7-2 in my player ratings after the game. And um, he took his goal really, really well. And and I just thought it was a threat, especially in the first half. He was Arsenal's biggest threat getting down that left-hand side. And I've, I am absolutely on the Tierney side of the argument when it comes to Tierney Tomiyasu at left back I don't I thought it was tactical masterstroke by Arteta against Liverpool and it worked perfectly but I, I haven't agreed with it continuing for the other games especially the likes of Nottingham Forest at home Southampton away do you not think it worked very well against Forest I thought Tomiyasu was very good against oh, Nottingham Forest, Forest. well yeah, absolutely I thought he played well but I just don't really get why you need to be I, I, why you have to continue the whole more inverted left-back type thing when you've got a player as good as Kieran Tierney there. I think it's really harsh on Kieran Tierney to have a right-back moved ahead of you when you've been you've lost your place in the team to Zinchenko as it is and then suddenly for Zinchenko to get injured and you find yourself behind a right-back being moved over to left-back and I thought it's been harsh on Tierney who mm-hmm. I really like and, and, I, and I just... I. I like the old-fashioned left-back getting down on the wing, bombing on, on the overlap. And he did it really well yesterday. Vieira should have scored from Tierney getting down, doing exactly that and cutting the ball back. And, you know, I think there's absolutely a place for Kieran Tierney in this team. I, if Zinchenko's fit, I'd play probably play Zinchenko. But when Zinchenko's not fit, for me, Kieran Tierney should be starting at left-back. And 
Um, and that's nothing against Tomiyasu, who I really like, and I think is an excellent defender, and he's done very, very well there. But I thought I, I was really happy for Tierney yesterday, and I think there was a lot of pent-up frustration. He always loves an angry celebration, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I thought there was definitely a lot of pent-up frustration in that celebration yesterday. He's had a difficult few months, and it must have been really tough for him. I, t- I remember the interview he gave after the Liverpool game. He did the media at, at London Colney, and it was a really good interview. Mm. And he spoke about what it felt like when he heard Tomiyasu, you know, he said Mikel would pull me in and he explained it to me. He said it was purely tactical and I thought he spoke really well. But the fact then it's it's continued in all the other games, mm. it kind of almost made it feel like, well, it's not really tactical if it's happening all the time. It's almost the norm. And um, so that must have been really difficult for him because I'm sure he would have been expecting to come back into the side after the Liverpool game. Um, but you know, Itini, what you're going to get. He's such a professional player. You know, he's got such a brilliant attitude and, he steps up when needed, and he and he certainly did that last night in a game when Arsenal didn't perform very well. He was one who made the difference, and and yeah, I think I, I I'd be very surprised if he doesn't start at Chelsea at the weekend. Yeah, it's a bit, you know a shame for Tommy when he went off, and you could see the way that he was going. I don't know if you were able to see the TV pictures or whatever, but there was like a shit, you know, World yeah. Cup in doubt kind of expression on his face, and, and there was a few Japanese. There's always Japanese reporters in the yeah. in the in the press box now because of Tommy obviously and they always wait in the mix zone and um, they were really worried you could tell they were worried and they, they got absolutely no change out of Mikel in his press conference afterwards which I thought was a, you could tell they just wanted something about and Mikel was just like oh, oh, it's Chelsea on Sunday that's all I'm bothered about and which is a great example of how Mikel is just like you know I don't give a shit about the World Cup <laughs> Arsenal <laughs> is all I care about I don't care about everything else and um and but they they were concerned, and I think you saw on Tommy's face he walked past us in the press box when he was sort of limping around the pitch. Mm. And we've seen what with Tommy Asu last season, a couple of these muscular injuries, how long he's been out for. You know, it's been a six weeks type thing, and the World Cup is right around the corner, and I, yeah. I fear for him. I have to say, yeah, and I mean it's it's sort of unfortunate, isn't it? Because that felt very much like a prescribed substitution, you know in terms of Ben White getting to the hour mark, bring on Tommy Asu. So you're trying to manage the minutes. And I think that's what he's trying to do in these games, you know, because we don't have the squad to rotate as as much as everyone would like, giving somebody an hour and then giving somebody else a half an hour in the game is the way that they're managing the minutes. And that's obviously what yeah. was happening with Tommy Asu. It wasn't necessarily that we needed Tommy Asu, but they were, they were, you know, that was probably down on paper, um, you know, before the game started. So fingers crossed, um, fingers crossed for him because that would be, um, that would be a real shame if you were to miss the World Cup. Um, it would be. I think just going back to Tierney on that, I think that's the one kind of mitigating circumstance I think might be the difference with Tierney is that, um, is that maybe Mikel has been managing those minutes so carefully and playing one player on the Thursday, one player on the Saturday, starting one, bringing the other one on for half an hour mm. and, had that not been the case, maybe Tierney would have been playing at left back right now. But maybe he's just looked at the situation and thought, you know what, I'm just going to play Tierney in Europa League now and then give him half an hour in the Premier League and vice versa with the other ones. So that, that might be a reason why we've seen Tierney on the bench and Tommy Asu starting in the Premier League. Yeah, I think that there's something to that. And it says something as well about, you know, if we worry about not having as much depth as we would like, the fact that we... Um, you know, nominal third choice Kieran Tierney says a lot about your options at left back, doesn't it? it absolutely does. Yeah, they, they've got a strong squad in certain areas. There's just one or two, isn't there, where you're where you're, mm. you're a little bit concerned. And but certainly at fullback at the moment, I think Arsenal are very very blessed with the options that they've got. The avoidance of that that knockout round is huge as well, though, isn't it? Because um, I know it's sort of like a um, what's the word I want to use here. Uh, I can't remember what it is, but, um, you know, the idea of it was there and people were sort of half worried about it. But when you look at some of the teams that are in there, Ajax, Barcelona, Juventus, Monaco, Manchester United, Sevilla, Roma, I presume there was something that would prevent the English teams being um, drawn against each other um, in, in that knockout round. But still some heavyweight opposition in there, even if some of those clubs aren't quite, you know, what we would expect from them um, in terms of strength and quality at this moment in time, you prefer not to be playing them at that point anyway of the competition. Absolutely. I mean, you can put this to bed now till March, which is, you know, it's a great position for how crazy the fixture schedule is mm. going to be after the World Cup. To be able to just not worry about the Europa League till March is fantastic now. And, you know, Mikel Arteta was absolutely desperate for that. 
Um, I still, I was, I was looking at it yesterday. The rules, it's a bit bizarre. It's like, even though you've won the group now, Arsenal are going to have to play basically a Champions League team in the last sixteen, which I was surprised. I thought you'd, you'd almost get a, a little bit of protection from that because you're a group winner. But the way the rules are is that you can't, you can't play. They can't play United in a round of sixteen if United win their playoff game. Right. Um, and you can't play a group winner from the Europa League. So it's either a Champions League team or a team that finished second in the Europa League. And you imagine that the Champions League team are going to win all the playoffs against the teams who finished second. So mm. Arsenal virtually guaranteed a Champions League team in the in the round of 16. And given two of the Spanish sides won their leagues, that that <laughs> the chance of getting Barcelona in that round was quite, you know, it's about one in four, I think. Right. Well, we owe them, we owe them one at this point. You know? We do owe them one at the moment. And it's probably not, and it's not really the Barcelona team that we've been used to playing as well. So maybe we'll actually, uh, we'll actually get one over them this time. But yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great to avoid, to not worry about it. It would be awful to go back in February and have to squeeze those two games in. So every sort of rest you can get in the second half of the season is going to be vital. So yeah, it's really, really important. Yeah. All right. Well, look, there is the Europa League group stage uh, done and dusted. Uh, we finished top. And then, like you say, we can we can start worrying about it uh, next year after the uh, after the break, after the World Cup and, and all the rest of it. Uh, a few other little bits and pieces this week. Gabriel Martinelli was talking... Um, about his future he says i just need to to get a pen is there a pen shortage at highbury house what's going on there is everything like one of those pdfs that nobody can figure out how to put their signature on um it does sound a bit like a a formality doesn't it that that this is you know given how keen he is to to sign a new contract um you know it does feel pretty much like a formality that this one gets done I bet. I bet his agent though was a bit annoyed with him when he saw those comments. <laughs> I just bet he was like, "Gabby, don't go off script here. Yeah, yeah. Calm it down when you're talking publicly." And good old James Benj uh, kind of put those word, those that pen word uh, line into Gabby's mouth as well, and he bit. Um, <laughs> so, he, but yeah, it was. Um, I mean, every time we spoke to him a few weeks ago, after I can't remember what game it was in the mix zone, and he kind of said the exact same thing. You know, I want to stay and and. And he clearly does. Well, I think he does. And it's just a case of getting a deal done. But it's as much as it is a case of, yeah, I just want to get a pen. It, it all comes down to money at the end of the day. He may well want to stay, but there will clearly be a number in his mind or certainly his agent's mind that Arsenal need to need to meet. And so uh, as much as the desire is there to stay, well, everyone's going to have to come to a to an agreement over exactly how much money they're getting paid. And with Gabby, it's not so stressful because he's still got 18 months left and Arsenal do have a two-year option on him. So, you know, they've, they've got plenty of time mm. with Gabby, but you don't really want to be taking up that option because that would just be continued on the same terms. You're just going to piss everyone off if you do that because the players need to be rewarded and Arsenal understand that. Arteta understands that. Edu understands that. It's a case of rewarding them for their stature in the team now and the talent. So you've got to, you don't want to be renewing. Um, so you don't want to be extending on current terms. You want to be giving them fresh, a fresh mm. deal. And I, I think... I mean, Mikel said as well on that same day when we spoke to Gabby at London Colney, Mikel said also that he felt that Arsenal were in a good place with those three. Yeah. And he's always been very positive about it. And you just got to take that on at sort of face value, I think, and, and see how it goes. They're tri- it's not the tricky negotiations. They're three very talented young players who are going to have every single club in Europe banging on their agent's door constantly. And and so Arsenal and Arsenal know that, so they're, they're not going to be easy ones to do. But I think certainly the noises that come out of Arsenal when you talk to the pe- people around there is that they are fairly confident that they'll get they'll get them done. I think Saliba's the the one for me that is the the biggest concern right mm. now, and I'm not overly concerned about it. But I just think Saliba, obviously, the time frame with Saliba's is the most um, is the most worrying out of all three of them, and also. There's still that thing of the relationship. How strained did the relationship get? How much do you have to still repair that because of what's happened in the last couple of years? Certainly with the agent as well. So I think he's the one that I'm more concerned about, but I'm I'm not overly concerned. The thing about it, yeah, it is it is quite an interesting one to consider, you know, from an Arsenal perspective because over the last couple of years they have absolutely slashed the wage bill. Right? They've cut out the biggest earners, you know, the guys who are making huge money are gone. And that has an impact on the wage bill. But now you're developing a team and you've got players in there 
who are potential superstars. You know, uh, I know there's a tendency for hyperbole when you talk about players and their potential and this guy's world-class and that guy's world-class. But, you know, they've got... uh, Martinelli, who's taken a real step forward this season. Saliba's come in and just added so much. Saka, as we know, just consistently fantastic. 21 years of age, 2021, 20, 22 years of age, right? Where you have to acknowledge their stature in the game when you're talking about a new contract. It's not just you're an Arsenal boy, Bakayo, you sign here, you know, it'll be all good. You have to recognize their earning potential elsewhere as well and factor that into the the contract offers that you make. And as much as you might want to manage your your wage bill and everything else, you have to operate within the, the, the realms of reality where other clubs can come along and say, well, if Arsenal are going to pay you that, we'll give you this. And I'm not saying that they will just go, well, I'll go here because it's more money. But you have to sort of benchmark their talent against what they might be earning at at some of the bigger clubs, as difficult as that might be. And if Arsenal are a team that is challenging for the Premier League, um, you know, maybe the stature in the last couple of years has taken a bit of a hit. But if we're if we're going back on the trajectory towards the top of the table, if you're seen as a top of the table club or a title challenger, that's also part of the negotiation when agents come to the table and say, well look you know, my player is helping you achieve X, Y, and Z. They should be rewarded for that. So it's it's not um it's not as cut and dried as people might like. No, absolutely. Like you said at the beginning, they are three super potential superstars of the game. Those three players specifically. Mm. I mean, they've got everything needed to be absolute. You know, the very top of the game. Saliba just looks like. I know everyone keeps saying Rolls Royce, but he does. He do, he just looks that good. He looks like he could be an absolute, you know, a Varane type player for mm. for ten years at at top club. But Kaisaka's just, I mean, his numbers are unreal. What he's done in his age. I mean, and Martinelli looks like a player who you could absolutely envisage wearing a Real Madrid shirt and and bombing <laughs> down that wing and bombing down that wing. And it's and it, but it is, isn't it? Yeah. And so you and you've got to keep those players if you want to build this team and you've got them in your at your club. It's so essential you keep them and continue to build. But every single club in Europe is going to be looking at those players. And so, like you said, you have to reward them. You have to you have to pay them what they can get elsewhere and what they will be being offered elsewhere. And emotional ties can only last so long. I, I mm. asked Gabby about it on at London Colony when we were talking about his contracts. And I was, I was like, do you feel this emotional attachment to Arsenal because when other, others rejected you, they were the ones that brought you to Europe and gave you the chance. You know, is that why you're so desperate to stay because of this emotional tie? And he said, he said, yes. And, but you can only rely on that for so long. The same with Bukayo Saka. You can only play the hair lens card for so long because ultimately the desire to be successful and to win and to make the most out of his potential overtakes the emotional tie to a football club. Look at Wayne Rooney with Everton. Look at, I don't know, Jack Grealish from Manchester City. Look at Cesc Fabregas. Look at Robin Van Persie, where we've had these players who are just unbelievable talents, but they want to achieve things in the game. And as connected as they are to to Arsenal or as connected as they were to Arsenal, I know some people don't want to believe that these guys really loved it at Arsenal, but they did. Um, But in order to achieve success and what they wanted from the game, they left. And that's what will that's what will happen if you are you know purely trading on that emotional attachment. Yeah, you have to you have to one you have to pay them what they're worth, but two you've got to show them that yeah. you're trying to match their ambitions and that you believe you can. Now Arsenal are on a good path to do that, I think, under Mikel Arteta, and I think the players are all buying into it. And I have no reason to think that any of them are thinking at the moment, oh, we could go elsewhere right now and mm. have a better chance of being successful. So. I think Arsenal are in a good position with all three of them, like Mikel Arteta says, but you know, it's not like you said, it is not cut and dry by any means. They are difficult negotiations and they're not ones that you can just click your fingers and be done with. So I'm not surprised they're still going on. I would have liked to have got some positive news on at least one of them before the World Cup. It hasn't happened. We've obviously had Gabriel Magales one done, mm. which is good. And there's probably others that are going to be rumbling on in the background now as well. I mean, Aaron Ramsdale, players like that, who was obviously brought in as the number two keeper initially and is now an England international and first choice 
you've got to reward these players. So they've done a lot of good work in slashing the wage bill in the last few years. And it's been really, really important because now you've got to this level where you've got, it feels like you've got space to be able to reward the players that you now have and yeah. take them up to, to the pay bracket that they deserve to be. So yeah, I don't think the wage bill is going to stay, stay no. as it is for much longer. No, I don't think it is. And it, you know, it might well increase because the, the, you know, this talk of January and talk of players coming in in January and some, some interesting quotes from Arteta in the week, you know, you acknowledge the difficulties of the January transfer window, uh, as we all know. Uh, but he said, with the position that we're in right now, it demands another level of player and that player has to be available. So it's kind of like, we know we need top talent, but it's got to be available. And who's available in January, it's always a little more difficult. He said, we'll look at everything and, and see what we can do. I mean, what what did you read into that? Like, um, he talked about uh, players who, who come in straight away. There isn't an adaptation process if you come in, in in January. You know, if you're a summer signing, you get preseason, you get to settle in, meet everyone, um, you know, learn everything about the club or what have you. But if you come in January, there's sort of like an onus on you to start producing straight away. So when Arsenal are looking at this January window, um, they're looking at quite a specific caliber of player, aren't they? In that. Their availability is one thing, but their ability then to come in and start games and contribute in the Premier League and at the business end of the Europa League, hopefully, and, you know, big, big, big important games is going to be a factor in their planning for that window. Yeah, I think it will be. Um, I mean, it's not the first time he said it. He said it throughout last season's last summer's window as well, that and you always do, managers, you always do hear say that when they talk about signing players. I remember back to George Graham, wasn't it? When he was refusing to sign anyone towards mm. the end, it was always, oh, I can't sign anyone to improve the squad, even though he had a squad full of players like Mark Flats and <laughs> things like that. Um, but uh, um, I think they will, I'll, I think they will do something in January. I'll be surprised if they don't. I think this January window is going to be really interesting because it's a little bit different. You've got the break for the yeah. World Cup. You've got almost a pre-season ahead of the January window to really plan when you're not playing week in, week out, and you can really sort of plan. Arteta can spend a lot of time with Edu over in Dubai when they're away before they come back for the restart. And it feels like you've got a little bit more planning time for this January. And the fact that Arsenal are in the position they are in makes it even more interesting because they would be mad if, in my opinion, speaking not just as a fan, but as just a journalist, as a as a football person, you'd be mad not to really try and capitalize on this, yeah, this yeah. advantage that you've given yourself by this start to the season, because you've got one hell of an opportunity, not so much to win the title. I don't think any of us want to say that at the moment, but you know, you've got a real chance of doing what you set out to achieve at the start of the season, which is getting top four. And you've got to push that advantage home now. And I think so January, they've got to go out, and at least bring in a couple of players, I think, in January. And they need to be players, like you said, who can come in and hit the ground running. You don't really want to be bringing in another kid who you have to take time. Like, look at Fabio Vieira, how long it's taken him to settle in. And mm. it's, that's not the sort of player I think you're looking at in January to come in and make a difference. You're looking at a Zinchenko, Jesus type signing in January, aren't you, to really come in and make, and, and make a difference. And whether Arsenal can push the boat out and they can spend that sort of money, when, whether they can convince the Cronkies to do it, we'll have to wait and see but if you're the Cronkies and you're sitting there and you're desperate to get back in the Champions League and you're looking at the league table you're looking at the way the team's playing you're looking at the progress that Arteta has made if you're ever going to push the boat out in January it's going to be it's going to be this January isn't it so I think it's going to be an intrigue in January transfer window yeah I think it will because you know what's interesting so far is that the players that we have been linked with like Danilo um, like the the guy Shakhtar Donetsk uh, Mudrik, um, they are quite young. Those players are young. They're not the established 24, 25 like Sinchenko and, and Jesus. And they do fit with the, um, with the way the club is recruited of like, you know, you're going to bring in young, hungry, talented players and watch them grow, et cetera, et cetera. But then it's like trying to decide whether or not these guys can give you enough in that second half of the season. You know, they might be brilliant summer signings, but do you have to think twice in January? Yeah, I, I think certainly, I think Mudrik, I think he would make a difference. 
personally i think he's such a good player i really do and he's obviously you know he's got champions league experience he's not an, he's not a kid coming in say daniel coming in from south america mm. suddenly coming being thrust into london in the middle of january and told go on make us get champions league football i mean I, that's just being incredibly harsh on a kid to do that but i think madrid <laughs> at least he is experienced at top level european football and has shown this season he can do it in the champions league and i think he would come in and make a difference for me um, I'm not saying that he'll be the player Arsenal sign. I think it's going to be very hard to sign him because Shakhtar are in a very strong position and they're going to want a, a lot of money for him. Mm. And they're going to have quite a few play, clubs, I imagine, circling. So, But he would be, for me, he'd be a really exciting signing. And I, I think that's the area that Arsenal have to improve in January. I think you've got to, you've got to bring in another wide player. I, I think it'd be mad if they don't. I think that, that area and the central midfield... I think if you can get two top quality players in that position, then I, th- I just really think Arsenal would be nailed on for a top four spot if he if he can manage to do that. And um, you know, you've got to give Saka a break. And I think it's pretty clear that Marquinhos isn't going to be considered to be able to do that. And I think he'll go out on loan in January. I love the whole Reese Nelson story at the weekend against Nottingham Forest, but ultimately, I'm really not sure Reese Nelson is going to be the man to. Mm. cover Bukai Saka for the second half of the season I, I, I think you've got to if you're ready now and you're sitting in your office and you've got a list of targets on your wall which he has I think a, a, a right winger is going to be very much at the very top of that list there was a, I mean just very finally there was sort of a little bit of a heart in mouth um, moment wasn't there in the Forest game when Saka went off and you wrote about it during the week and I wrote about it during the week the the lack of protection that Bakayo Saka gets in terms of some of the challenges the consistency of those challenges the way that you know it, it feels systematic now the way that the players play against him if they're not doubling up on him they're going right through the back of him and he, he doesn't get the free kicks that he should get and you know as I said 17 he's only been fouled 17 times this season in the Premier it's laughable 17 he's fouled 17 times in one game yeah yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, he's just not getting what he should get. And I don't really understand why that is, you know, for a bright young English talent to be treated differently from um, other players who, you know, a defender whispers in their ear and they go down screaming and they get whatever they want. That doesn't seem to apply to Saka. But I think, you know, he was back. We He obviously played last night, um, didn't have a great deal of, of impact on the game. But, you know, I think if you are Edu, if you are Mikel Arteta, you're sitting there, and you're going, okay, we're kind of lucky in a way because the season is taking a break now in a couple of weeks. But if Saka, you know, in a normal season is kicked out of the game for six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it is, you're not in a great position. You know, it does hammer home where you need to strengthen in this squad and and how you need to be able to to cope with the absence of a, a very important player, a key player. I know there are certain players in, in teams who are kind of a step above where you can't just have a like-for-like like replacement, but you've got to have credible replacement. And like you, I sort of share concerns about the options that we have right now at this moment in time. So it might be, I'm not going to say a wake-up call for them, but just a little reminder that there is business to be done. Yeah, I know. I think there is. I, I absolutely think there is. And, they, I think they know they knew it as well because in the summer window, had there not been that late drama over central midfielders right at the end of the window, I think Arsenal would have spent the last few days trying to get a, a, a winger over the line, and then they had to change mm. they had to change what they were looking at because of what had happened in defensive midfield. So it, it, they they will be they are very aware of it, and it's just a case of who's out there. And in January, we know how difficult it's going to be. And like Arteta spoke about when he was looking at it, it's not an easy window to get players out of clubs but it's not impossible. So mm. it's just a case of how much Arsenal really want to push the boat out to try and get these deals done. I mean, you look at, well, I spoke about Modric, he's he's more of a left winger. So he's not, if he came in, he wouldn't be a light for light Saka replacement, really, when I've seen him at Shakhtar. And I'm no expert on him, but when I've seen him at Shakhtar, he tends to be off the left most of the time. Mm. Um, and so maybe he wouldn't, you know, he's not a light for light replacement for Bukai. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but... It's going to come around very, very quickly. It's, it's, it's not far away. I'm dreading it as much as I'm looking forward to it, to be honest, because I can't stand the transfer window. But yeah, bring it on. All right. We'll see what happens. January's still a way away. We've got a lot to do between now and then. For now, though, we'll leave it there. Charles, as ever, thanks very much. Thanks, mate. Speak to you soon. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. 
It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Charles underscore Watts, at Charles underscore Watts. And of course, he writes about Arsenal for goal.com. Right, going to leave it there. Just to let you know, there is not going to be an end bit at the end of this particular podcast because, well, time is pressing. I need to get this out. I have loads of other stuff to do today. So my hand is is rather forced in that regard. For more listening, we will have a Chelsea preview podcast for you over on Patreon tomorrow. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. We'll have that out for you before lunchtime on Saturday, I think myself and Lewis Ambrose will look ahead to that particular game, a game that James and I will discuss on the Arsecast Extra on Monday. So join us for that, what will hopefully be a goodly morning, and some exciting merchandising news on Monday's Arsecast Extra 2, regardless of what happens at Stamford Bridge. But fingers crossed, we can give Chelsea what they deserve, continue our good form, and uh, remain at the top of the table going into the final week of the first half, the first half, the first part of this season, I should say. As ever, thank you very much indeed for being here. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your downloads and your reviews and your support and everything else. Have a great weekend, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.